Well, let's turn to the Bible. And we're continuing, working our way through John's first letter. That's 1 John. And we're in chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left it. Well, I'll just overlap with last time. Ian, can I go back to um, verse 16? Um, We'll just overlap with where we we left it last time. uh, And we'll pick up. And John writes this. This is how uh, we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And that's where we left it. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And the one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us through his word. Father God, we know that you are the real and living God. You are the only God. And we believe that the Bible is your word. It is um, your divine and faultless revelation to us. It is your voice to us. And we ask that you would open our hearts to hear you speaking this morning. We know that that our hearts are are so often dulled and so often um, by the things that we've done wrong, we dull our own hearts and we wander away from you. But we ask you in your grace and your mercy uh, to give us clear ears to hear and clear eyes to see you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we said at the start of uh, uh, this book that that 1 John is about assurance, about Christian assurance. It's about being um, confident that you're uh, in a right place with God. And I wonder whether that doesn't sound like a a very great prize uh, to be right with God. But uh, Thomas Brooks, a Puritan writer from the 1600s, says that that having assurance that you're right with God is like the suburbs of paradise. I quite like that. You know, it's like as near as you can get 
um, to paradise in this life, um, to know that you're right with God. And, and John himself, he puts it in these terms in what we've just read. He says it's this place, um, assurance is this place where we have confidence um, before God. And receive from him um, anything we ask because we keep his, his commands and do what pleases him. That, wouldn't that be a great place to be? Sound look very convinced. <laughs> I'll work on you um, as, as we go on. Okay. I, surely, though, we want some of that confidence before God. Um, prayers answered. Doing what, what pleases him and I know we're doing the right things. Well, what's standing in our way? That's the question. Well, if you did study two um, in the Bible studies on Wednesday night, and I'm, I'm sure, um, I know that not all of you did, there was a suggestion at the end that there were two potential barriers um, to, to being in this place of assurance. Uh, one is complacency, and the other is fear. And, and the Bible study asked, which of those is your bigger problem in your relationship with God? Is it, is it complacency, um, or is it fear? Complacency is when you think it doesn't matter how you live, your Christian life. When you think that God isn't really bothered uh, about how your life is is actually lived. And fear is the opposite. Fear is is when uh, you're so concerned about your life that you you doubt that you can be forgiven. God is too holy and you've messed up too often. And to have Christian assurance, you, you, you need both. You need this consciousness that it matters how you live. And you need a confidence that you are right with God. And actually, that's why John doesn't let us off the hook in either direction. Keeps telling us about what we should do, what the Christian life should look like. It's trying to kind of move you out of um, of complacency. But also, he says that, that if... You get it wrong. There is an answer, and we'll come to it later on. So how do you diagnose yourself? Well, if you're a complacent person, you will be bored in the Christian life. You will have no real experience of God because you are not interested or reckoning with, nor dealing with God as he really is. Whereas if you're fearful in the Christian life, you will be miserable. Because you might be seeing God as he really is, but you're unable to enjoy it or really believe that he forgives you. So, have a look around you, and do they look miserable or bored? (laughs) No, hang on a minute, no, don't do that. Uh, Okay, have a look inside you, okay, and, and ask the question, are you miserable or are you bored? Well, today, hopefully, we're going to get at the heart of uh, assurance. Uh, we're, we're starting in the middle of a little digression uh, of, of John's. But let's, let's recap. So John, is, John, we've been looking in the book. John gives three tests of the, re, of the real Christian. He says they acknowledge that Jesus uh, is God the Son come as human being. That's the first thing. He says that real Christians live like Jesus did. They obey his commands. And real Christians love their brothers and sisters in Christ. How can somebody love God if they're not seen, if they don't love their brother or sister uh, who they have seen? 
Those are the three tests. John is talking about them again and again in the book. And and last time we just looked at one of them in particular. That was the one of of obedience. Um, And we saw three motivations to obedience. I I forget, this is the point in the sermon where I always remember to tell you there are some sermon notes which will tell you where we're going um, if you want them. There are a few down there and there are a few still over there. Uh, Last time, so we looked at three motivations to obedience in particular. And there are three. One is that when we see Jesus, Jesus is coming back. And when we see him, we will be made like him. So we want to obey Christ now because to see him is to be transformed into his likeness. Second motivation was that sin is law-breaking. As we saw earlier on with the chain. Any sin is, 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 is a break in the chain. Um, and Jesus came to provide forgiveness for all those broken links and to reconnect us to God. Why would we want to carry on breaking links in the chain? And the third reason is for wanting to be like Jesus now is because uh, it says Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, which is doubt and and, and fear um, and death, ultimately. Why would you want to uh, recreate um, the works that the devil came to do? So that's where we finished. That's the recap. But now that there's, there's a link uh, John makes. So last time he ended with this statement with which we, which we started. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in, in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with, with actions and in truth. And then as he often does in his letters, John, he, he kind of takes or one word and it kind of seems like it's sparked a new thought and he moves on. So he takes this word truth, says let's, let's love with actions uh, and in truth. And he takes this word and changes tax slightly and says this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts Uh, at rest in his presence. And I think he's referring back. This is how you know you're a true Christian. This is how you know you're in the truth of God. It's because you love your brothers and sisters uh, with actions and in truth. That should start to knock a bit of complacency, shouldn't it? That your assurance is, first of all, not not an interior feeling, um, it's based on the outward, visible behaviour. Your assurance is based on the fact that you are a changed person in, in Christ. And especially, John has just said, he links that back to the previous verse about your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where um, assurance comes from. And he says, this is how we set our hearts at rest. Verse 19, this is how we set our hearts at rest. We've changed. If you, if you haven't changed since you became a Christian, you've, you've got no reason for assurance. Not a reason, really, to believe that you're a Christian. It's basic, isn't it? And okay, so we start from different places. Okay. So some people start as nicer people. Some start as people who, for, for the reasons of the way they've been brought up, uh, for all kinds of reasons, um, they, they just start from a kind of more godly kind of place, uh, a place where they more naturally uh, love other people. And some of us start further back. 
But there's no point comparing yourself with other people for that very reason. And to compare yourself with people is going to be relationally destructive. It's just going to leave you upset. Um, and it's going to leave you uh, looking askance at other people. So there's no point comparing yourself with other people. You compare yourself against the biblical standard. Here it is. Love others in actions and in, and in truth. What you can do is, is compare yourself with last year. And I think, and I say last year because a year is fairly generous, isn't it? It's a fairly generous amount of time in which to have changed. Don't compare yourself with last week. You haven't had much chance. Something might have changed uh, in your Christian life with last week. But, but with last year, it's time for something to have happened, isn't it? And again, I, I say... Uh, as we said before, that, that for, for, for older people, sometimes the challenge is that this year, as opposed to last year, I'm doing the same stuff, but I'm doing it with less physical and mental resources. And so that is growth. And for that reason, we sometimes let some of our elderly people uh, kind of uh, carry on as they are, but with less resources, that's growth. But for the rest of us, it's got to be a change. This is assurance route A. For today, you know that you've actually changed. So let's look at, uh, as John does, uh, in, the, in the text from, from verse um, 20 on it, onwards, well, actually verse 21. Let's look at uh, Assurance Route A in slightly more detail. Because what John does, and I'm going to take this next paragraph and, and take it backwards, hopefully then pick apart the logic. Let, this is Route A in a little bit more detail. There is, there is one central command, uh, John says. This is the command. It's to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. To love one another as he commanded, verse 23. And, and the one who keeps God's commands lives in him. So for the first time in the book, John has brought his three tests of the true Christian um, together in a couple of verses. Um, believing uh, that Jesus is God's son. Loving one another um, and keeping God's commands. He brings them together uh, in one verse. And he says that if we do this... And he says, our hearts don't condemn us. And that's just, that's just obvious, basic logic, isn't it? And if we do this, then we have confidence uh, before God. And we will see prayers answered. We receive from him anything we ask us. We keep his commands and, and do what pleases him. That's, that's kind of the normal Christian life. And if we do this, then our, our, our hearts, there's no reason for our hearts to, uh, to, to speak against us. Um, we, we have confidence before God. Um, we, we, can, we can come before him in prayer, um, knowing that we're, that we're right with him. And we see prayers answered. What a great place to live that would be. I won't say hands up if that's happening, because I think you'd look a lot more cheerful if that was happening. Um, but have you experienced that? I'll tell you more about my last few weeks' experience in a moment. But it's this place where you, you're doing the right thing, and so you have confidence before God, um, and your prayers are being answered. Um, it's, it's not complacent because it's doing the right thing, but neither does it have any reason to be fearful. So I always say these two things. If you are reading the Bible, 
wanting to hear God, he will speak to you. And if you are persistently praying, God will answer you. Confident of those two things, and the Bible makes you a, a promise. Matthew 7, um, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Though they are in what is called a present continuous tense. It means ask and keep on asking. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and, and the one who knocks the door, to, uh, the door will be opened. If you're reading the Bible, wanting to hear God, if you're reading it, he will, he will speak. He might not say the things you want to say. He might not speak to you on any given, particular given day out of any particular passage. But if you're reading the Bible, he will speak to you. If you're praying, he will answer you. This is route A to, to assurance, to, to be obeying God's commands and to be able to see that in your own life uh, as an increasing thing um, year on year. But there is a route B, you'll be really glad to know. Okay, route B is this. When you know you've failed, this is what uh, John, we're back in now in uh, verse, verse 20. When we fail, uh, John says, if our hearts condemn us, which, of course, if we fail, they do, justly, they tell us we've failed before God, then we need to know that God is greater than our hearts. Some debate amongst commentators about what that means, but this is what I think it means. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. It says that in verse 20. So he knows all the circumstances and factors that led to your falling and failing. He doesn't use that as an excuse, but he's made provision for that time when you fail. We saw it right back when we, in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate, like a barrister almost, um, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the risen Jesus, stands before God and, and, and pleads your case. But what does he plead? doesn't say, oh, uh, look at Nick, he, was, he didn't really mean to do that. <laughs> or look at Nick, he'd had a really bad week before that happened. He says, no, he says, look at my atoning sacrifice for Nick. Look at the blood I spilt, Father God, for Nick. And... Forgive him. There is a provision for when you fail. This is route B to assurance. To come before the God who knows everything, knows everything about you and he knows what you've done. Confess your sins. We saw that in in, uh, 1 John 1 uh, verse 9. For confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And it deals with fear. Because actually we read later on, fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in, in love. Fear has to do with punishment, isn't it? That's what, that's what it's about. We come before God if we're frightened it's because we think he's going to punish us. Well, He's punished Christ in our place. So this provision of Christ as the atoning sacrifice on the cross um, deals with fear. But it leads you back. That's the intention. It leads you back into root A assurance. Leads you back into that place of obedience and confidence and loving and trusting. Let me just tell you a little bit about the last three weeks. I don't know how it happened, but about three weeks ago, I had this just lovely week. 
um, where I, I lived this middle verse for about a week. Where my heart didn't contend me, I had confidence before God. I, I don't remember receiving from me every, everything I, I asked because I wasn't asking. But I was, had that sense of keeping his command and, and doing what pleased him. It lasted about a week. Um, I, I, and it was glorious. Um, and I was, um, I was energized. I was productive. Uh, got lots of work done. Did masses of stuff. Uh, I, I was happy. And then something came in uh, and knocked that away. If you've been observant, you'll know what that is already, but I'm not going to tell you this morning. Uh, and, f- and for that week, try as I might, I was miserable. I was drained. I was unsure of, uh, of God's smiling face. What do you do in that place? Well, you come back, you come back before the Lord and cry out to the Lord. So I came back to the Lord and said, I want a step change in the Christian life. I want more of your Holy Spirit um, because I want to go on. I'm not satisfied with the place my Christian life is that I want more. Please send me your Holy Spirit. And he did, and the Holy Spirit brought me a dreadful conviction of sin. It wasn't what I was expecting. Okay, I wanted to go back, Lord, saying that wasn't quite the blessing of the Holy Spirit I was after, Lord. Um, and then... That, that conviction leads, leads to a confession. You go back to the Lord and say, oh my goodness, Lord, I see that clearly now and I got that wrong. And you move back from that, having confessed it into that place of, of assurance, of, of, of being right with God, and I'm getting there. Um, but this was a kind of fairly long list from the Lord. Um, uh, and I want to get it right. And so I've gone back and I've written things down. Because there's no point is there really hearing the Lord's conviction on your life and, and then not really getting to grips with it. And I don't want to not hear it and, and, and not get to grips with it. But that's root A and root, and root B, isn't it? Root A is when uh, you're confident and happy and productive. Um, but something comes in. It might be your own sin. It might be somebody else's sin. Uh, whatever it is that, that, that knocks us off. I think J.C. Ra said, few Christians uh, are capable of holding a full cup with a steady hand. Um, we spill it sooner or later. But here is root B. Here is the way back. But we need to move on. Because actually this was a little digression uh, of John's. And actually the, the digressions are interesting. We say he's, three times he's telling us these three big tests um, of the true Christian. Obedience to Christ's commands, um, loving brothers and sisters in Christ, um, believing that Jesus Christ is God the Son come in human form. Those are three big tests. Uh, and throughout the book, he goes through all three of them um, three times over. But with sticking in these little digressions, they're not really done... Well, yes, they are digressions. He goes off uh, and picks up a kind of another subject. And then he comes back. So John comes back now in chapter 4, and we need to just deal with this briefly. Um, the, the three tests. And the one that we haven't dealt with so far is this one about acknowledging the incarnation. Acknowledging that Jesus is, as John puts it, the Christ, by which he means God the Son. Um, which in his gospel he called the Word of God. And he says this. This is really interesting. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus is Christ come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is now already um, in the world. So in in John's time, uh, there was prophecy um, as well as teaching, as there is sometimes now, uh, uh, where somebody speaks and says, I'm speaking by by the Spirit of God. Um, I'm speaking to you. And John says this, don't trust a person or a teaching simply because something supernatural seems to have happened. And that's a really important warning for us. Just because something supernatural has happened doesn't mean it's of God because there are two kinds of spirit. There is God, the Holy Spirit, who works powerfully and supernaturally, but there are spirits that are not from God. And they work supernaturally too. So we live in what is, uh, in the West, largely a a rational, we see it as a kind of rational, natural, material world. And so if we see something miraculous or or supernatural, our ears prick up and our heads are turned. And and there's a temptation to think it must be of God. Well, no, it must not. It it, it must not. I, I don't want to say it must not. It not must be of God. You know what I mean. It's not true that it must be of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Something is not of God simply because it is supernatural. And Jesus said this, uh, false messiahs of false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything in advance. So even if something apparently miraculous happens in a religious context, you do not take that as a sign of authenticity. Because John says many false prophets have gone out into the world. A bit like almost in mimicry of the Great Commission. There are other religions out there. And John says that they speak by other spirits. So you have to apply this test. Does this person, does this message say that Jesus is the word or Jesus is God the Son come uh, in human flesh? Paul provides a similar test. He says nobody can say uh, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the Spirit of God never says Jesus, Jesus be cursed. But he says, uh, and this is a test uh, uh, specific in some ways to John's time, um, but in other ways not. It's a, it's a sharp enough knife, isn't it, um, to say does, does this religion, does this person, does this belief say that Jesus... Um, is, is God the Son coming in human form? And actually, do you know what that cuts away everything? It, it cuts away everything that's not Christian. It cuts away those things that might claim to believe the Bible, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. Leaves only Orthodox um, Christianity. So it's a good basic test that if you see something, it seems to be supernatural. If it doesn't acknowledge Christ, it's it's not by the Spirit of God. It's basic, isn't it? But tests are written for specific situations. So this test is, is uh, has in some ways specific to John's day because uh, there are people saying that, that Jesus was just a man uh, and some kind of divine thing came on him uh, at his baptism left uh, at the cross. John says, absolutely not. He says, Jesus is God and man. Jesus is God as man. He is the second person of the Trinity come in human form. 
but tests are written for specific situations. So I, I took some of this uh, material to uh, the Christians at BP, and I asked them the question, what would you, uh, before, before we looked at this, what, if you were looking at a church, you know, or, or you looked on their website, what would you want to test them by? What would, what would your tests be? Do you want to have a go at that? Looking at a church website, what, what, are the first things you, what are the first things you look for? Sorry? Yeah, anything specific you want in their declaration of faith, oh, I would go there pretty quickly. I'd go to some of the statement of faith. What would you want to see? Believe in the Trinity, absolutely. Any more? Go on. I won't shoot you down. Yeah, thank you. Fallibility and authority of the scriptures. Authority of the word of God. That's, uh, I'd want that up somewhere near the top. And for me, another one which uh, you won't see it in these terms, what the, th- what the theologians call penal substitution. In other words, that, that um, Christ died uh, in our place, um, paying the price for our sins. In other words, Jesus is not just some good example um, for us. Uh, he's actually paying the price for our sins uh, on the cross. So there are other things, I think, as, as a church, it, and you would want to test if you were to uh, look uh, for another church. I hope you're not doing that, by the way. Um, but if the time comes, um, or you had a reason to test something out. So that's the incarnation test. Uh, uh, the speakers. John says a little bit more about the hearers. He says, you, dear children, are from God and you've overcome them. The false teachers he's talking about. Because uh, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He says, you've overcome them. By that, he didn't mean that you ran up to the front because they weren't confessing Christ and you wrestled them to the floor. Um, and, and then you kind of picked them up and, and, and threw them out of the church. Or he doesn't mean by that that you commanded their spirit to leave uh, and they went. What he, what he means by that is simply you've overcome them because you resisted the temptation to believe them. As simple as that. And one writer, I've lost track of who it was, says false belief is as much a sin as unrighteous behavior or lack of love. In John's situation, uh, they've overcome them by not following them out of the church and into something false. Ultimately, that victory came from the Holy Spirit, he says. Um, the one who is in you is greater than, than he's who's in the word. It wasn't, it wasn't their cleverness. It was the work of the Holy Spirit guiding them into truth. He is in you and he's greater than he who is in the world. That's a great reassurance, by the way. And it, it's a great statement, isn't it, which applies, I guess, to, uh, to wider situations. You can't be forcibly wrested uh, out of God's hand by any other power because the spirit that is in you, the Holy Spirit, is, is greater than any other spirit, greater than he, uh, uh, the enemy, Satan, who, who is in the world. John says that his, his church members believed him. He says, we are from God, and whoever listens knows God listens to us. So ultimately, um, let me just back up a bit. And the other teachers, he says, that they're not from God. He says, um, they're from the world and they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So he says, these other teachers, they just speak what the, what the world wants to hear. It's no surprise the world listens to them. But our protection comes from the 
apostolic word, believing the word of the apostles, in other words, the New Testament, um, and the Spirit together in action. So John Stott says this, protection against falsehood and victory over it are ascribed both to an objective standard of doctrine and to the indwelling Spirit who illumines our minds to grasp and apply it. So the safe place to stay, the place where you're protected as a Christian, is where you are uh, in the New Testament uh, and God, is, by his spirit, is, is bringing it to bear on your life. Calvin said this, John Calvin, unless the spirit of wisdom in presence is present, there is little or no profit in having God's word in our hands. The only safe place to be is consistently in the scriptures, um, independence on the Holy Spirit. So to conclude, I decided to call it a collision rather than, rather than a conclusion just to um, make you think. We've said we want to be a church in which God moves as we witness through word-based oneness. In other words, we want our primary witness uh, to be the quality of our fellowship. But how close is that to, to this? We want to be a place where we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and, and do what pleases him. If this is going to happen, we have to be a, a place where word and spirit collide with complacency and, and fear. Where word, under the, un, under the working of the spirit of God, collides with complacency um, knocks out of us our complacency that way and knocks out of us our, our, our fear the other way because perfect love drives out fear we want the word and the spirit to knock out any complacency we have in our relationship to God's word our relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ with our relationship to God's will and we want the word to knock out of us our, our fear that we're not right with God